Okay, so um, this is the fifth in this talk series. Um, we've had a couple talks on um, methodology, so to speak, of the tools for holiness, the tools for finding God in everyday life. We've had a talk on the goal, what is the thing we're aiming and hoping for, to become more completely a son in the Son uh, by union with Jesus, the Son of God. Tonight, we're looking at not a set of tools, not the goal, but kind of what we have along the way, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are two things um, I'm hoping you might gain from this talk. One is an appreciation of what our religion as Christians gives us that makes us wonderfully um, different from in particular Muslims or Buddhists. But another thing, to give you an appreciation of this phrase, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, um, there is a, a modern phrase, but to show how it relates to our Catholic tradition, how in many ways it's a traditional phrase. So when I was a young man many years ago, uh, I can remember my evangelical friends would all use this phrase, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They would say, have you got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Um, and obviously this is a phrase in English, so it's not in a sense a, a classical ancient piece of Christian terminology. It's more particularly, it's an American phraseology. Um, but it's a, a, a phrase we last couple decades, numerous Catholic documents embrace this. Uh, and I'm, one of the things I want to explain tonight is how actually it's is a good way of describing what is our traditional Catholic doctrine. So, three images that I'm going to come back to repeatedly in this talk around the question, what describes your relationship with Jesus Christ? Um, here we have an image of Islam, here an image of Buddhism, and here an image of Jesus in his sacred heart. So I want to contrast those different models of what characterises your relationship with God. So Islam, the model of your relationship with God in Islam is slave-master. Uh, the Quran is very explicit about this. If you have any arguments with Muslims, the way I as a priest, seems all the taxi drivers these days are Muslims, and the instant I get in a taxi, which I don't do that often, fortunately, um, they'll say, ah, um, they find what we say about knowing God abhorrent. To them, this is the model, um, very explicitly. So the word Islam means submit that God is your creator, God is your master, but he is not personal, you don't have an intimate relationship with him, and you don't know God in himself. And with all that, he's not your friend. So part of what Islam holds is that God is so utterly transcendent, utterly beyond, that you cannot know him. You can have dictated for you in the Quran how you must behave, what he requires of you, 
but you do not know him. You just know the prayers to say to him. Not personal, not intimate, he's not your friend. And I see there's an element of this that is our religion too. He is our creator, he is our master. Um, but he's also something more. A different model. God as your source of peace. And this in many ways is um, a popular modern notion of a kind of maybe not even an authentic Buddhism, but a kind of quasi-Buddhism imported um, to some California hippie commune. Um, what's God? God's good for me. God gives me peace. That's what God is. is he's my source of peace. So in Buddhism, um, you don't know God directly. Um, he's more like an energy. So Pope Francis in his document on evangelization, Evangelii Gaudium, warns against those who treat God as just spiritual energies. Um, but a consequence of that is God isn't your friend. So in Buddhism, um, you can be an atheist and a Buddhist. Uh, that Buddhism isn't inherently deistic, isn't inherently well, it's not personal the way our relationship is with God. The Buddhism is about stilling yourself, quieting yourself, emptying the mind and so forth. That God gives you peace, but he's not someone who you know. He's not someone who's your friend. Now let's contrast those two models with... So in that image, that's an image of Jesus at the Last Supper, John leaning his head on the Lord's breast, a very intimate detail that's recorded in the Gospels. Uh, intimate, um, loving, John knows Jesus. Jesus isn't some mystery figure. Jesus isn't just somebody up in the clouds. He knows him, he loves him. He's, his head <coughs> lies on his breast. So if you know Christ, then in Christ you have a personal relationship with God. And this is a very different setup for how you relate to God. So Christians are called to know and love Jesus. I've said those are two elements of any relationship. You've got to know somebody if you're going to love them. You can't love your wife if you don't know your wife. You can't have a friendship with someone you don't know. We can also point to things so that Christians know how God feels about sin, for example. So John's Gospel records how Jesus wept. So there are all kinds of things in the Gospels where we get a glimpse of, of how even we might say God feels. You know him. You know what he's like. So John's Gospel, um, is, this is where this quote's from. Jesus says to his disciples, those who've been with him those three years as he's wandered around Galilee and such, 
He said, I call you friends. Now, the next word in that quote is, I call you friends because. Um, now, can anyone here remind us, what is the reason Jesus says we can call him friends? He says, I call you friends because. Does anyone remember the second half of the verse? I'm going somewhere with this. Exactly. I have made known to you. Same way I'm saying you can't love someone you don't know. You can't have a friendship with someone you don't know. Jesus says, I call you friends because, because I've made known to you everything I've been told by my Father. That we have this entryway into the inner life of God himself, the inner life of the Trinity. He's made it known to us. A friend is someone you know. I put a contrast here, um, relativism. So relativism is the belief all around us today that there is no truth. It's just your opinion and my opinion, no such thing as truth. Well, if there's no truth, then there isn't knowledge of Jesus. There's just lots of different opinions about him. If there's no knowledge of Jesus, there's no intimacy with Jesus. He's just whatever you imagine him to be. Whereas if you do know the truth, then you do know Jesus and you have intimacy with Jesus. The point I'm trying to make is that knowledge is an important thing. It's a, and it's one of the key claims of Jesus Christ. He is God and he has made God known in what he's shown, what he's taught us. So what does Jesus say of himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He himself. So, I've said here, a personal relationship with God in Christ looks mushy and sentimental, but it looks personal. So people often uh, who don't like images of the Sacred Heart complain that they look horribly sentimental. Um, often, and that one I'm afraid is a bit of an example, look a bit girly. Um, but if you're going to have an intimate image, if, if it's going to look something of the heart, then you kind of are bound to get some sentimentality with that. It's very hard to get an image, a loving image, that doesn't look <coughs> sentimental. So some of you would have seen in my lounge in the presbytery, I have an image of the Sacred Heart in big one in the downstairs lounge there. Um, it's not this one, but it's my favourite one. But it's a, it's a manly sacred heart, but somehow looks a very difficult combination to look sentimental, the love of the heart, but still manly. But the point I'm making showing you this image is that I think it is characteristic of our, our religion that is intimate in what we have with God, that we're likely to have a lot of sentimental images. Okay, different point I'm heading towards now. Um, what does it mean to be a Christian? So Pope Francis asks this question in his document Evangelii Gaudium. 
What does it mean to be a Christian? Some of you may have heard me quote this before. Anyone remember what Pope Francis says? Now, Pope Francis, you'll know, talks a lot about our need to care for the poor. Um, so you might think, if you're punting a guess, that he's going to say something about, ah, oh, to be a Christian is to care for the poor, to care for the needy. Um, no. So yes, we need to care for the poor. Yes, we need to care for the needy. But that isn't a Christian. A Christian, he says, is someone who has met Christ, who has encountered. So this word encounter he uses a lot. So here he says, I never tire of repeating those words of Benedict XVI, his predecessor, which take us to the very heart of the gospel. Being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. A personal relationship, someone you meet, an encounter. This is what it means to be a Christian. So Jesus isn't just our example. So yes, give to the poor, but being a Christian is about encountering Christ. Okay, I want to spend a couple minutes now spelling out if I'm using this phrase, a personal relationship with God is what we have in Jesus Christ, what does a personal relationship look like? What does that mean? Well, I said it's not like a child's imaginary friend, yeah? Uh, we all know how children can often go through a phase of having an imaginary friend. Um, I've got various friends of mine that aren't Christians or atheists um, and they can sometimes get rather freaked out when um, I talk about praying because um, as far as they're concerned I'm talking to someone who isn't there. Um, it's like talking to my imaginary friend. Well a personal relationship with Jesus isn't an imaginary friend. It's not what I imagine to be the case, what I wish to be the case. So what does constitute the relationship with him? Three things, knowing him, loving him, encountering him. Now Pope Francis makes the point that traditional piety, such as images of the Sacred Heart, um, express this personal relationship. So he says, genuine forms of popular religi religiosity are incarnate as in they've taken flesh, since they are born of the incarnation of Christian faith in popular culture. For this reason, they entail a personal relationship, not with vague spiritual energies or powers, but with God, with Christ, with Mary and the saints. These devotions are fleshy. They have a face. So a couple of examples I've listed here, some forms of piety that incarnate this personal relationship. So the Sacred Heart. Um, some of you may be familiar with devotions like the devotion to the sacred wounds of Jesus. So when we sing the hymn, Soul of My Saviour, we refer to his wounds. Well, his wounds are a very fleshy, very direct, very palpable thing. 
I'm relating to him as a human when I'm thinking of him having wounds. Various meditations on his sacred humanity. So when we meditate on Jesus in the Gospels, what he shows us. Uh, when you say the mysteries of the rosary, likewise. And then I've noticed it, Pope Francis, one of the big things in his um, general audiences when all the thousands go to see him on a, a Wednesday morning uh, is giving out little gospel booklets because it's when we read the gospels that we come face to face with God made flesh. What did he look like? What did he do? There it is described in the gospels. Okay, let me note Describe a couple of things of the sacred heart as a pivotal example of this personal relationship. So, two elements to a relationship, him relating to us and us relating to him. So first, God's relationship towards us. So God in human form, ask the question, what does God feel towards us? And the humanity of Jesus shows us that. So if I want to know how he is relating to me, how does he feel towards me? Well, when he took flesh in Jesus, how Jesus behaved, that shows me. Well, how did he behave? Well, Jesus wept. That it says... Um, when Jesus, towards the end, he comes over the hill and he sees Jerusalem, Jerusalem that has rejected him, is indifferent to him, and he weeps. How does he feel? He weeps. You can also note Jesus had compassion when he sees the lost, when he sees the crowds in need. The Gospels again and again use this phrase, he had compassion. Compassion to, to feel with. He feels whatever we're going through. <clears throat> then other phrases. So when the rich young man came to him, the rich young man who'd kept all the commandments since his youth, he said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. You know, this is a very personal, very intimate glimpse we're given in that verse there. And we can with good reason, think the same holds for me and for you, that God looks at you and loves you. Okay, so all of that was giving, you know, very briefly, God's relationship to us. Well, if it's a relationship, how do I relate to him? Well, in the Sacred Heart, you have lots of concrete acts, so acts of reparation. I have sinned against him, others have sinned against him. I offer him little acts of love, acts of thanksgiving, acts of supplication to, to put balm on his wounded heart, to ease his wounded heart. Um, he loves, his love is wounded. I want to, to somehow satisfy, compensate that wounded love. So the sacred example, the sacred heart is just one of many examples in Catholic piety of, of something of that personal dynamic in how we can relate to God in Christ. So he relates to us, we relate to him. 
So here, a clarification on the term relationship. So I've sometimes heard people say, well, relationship doesn't seem very adequate if you're talking about God. Surely he's kind of beyond that. Well, God is constant towards me. He is always loving, always committed, always merciful, always reliable. I'm variable, shall we say, towards him. I have my good moments and my bad moments. Um, sometimes I'm fervent, sometimes I'm slack, sometimes I'm apologetic, sometimes I'm stubborn. Um, so the word relationship between me and God uh, is not the same as between me and a human where another human is variable to me and I'm variable to him. God is utterly constant towards you in a good way. Um, so we do need to be aware a word like relationship you can't apply it to God in the very same way as it applies to us. Quantum, focus on a different question now. Uh, if I've said, or Pope Francis has said, that to be a Christian is to encounter God in Christ, well, where do we encounter him? If we have this personal relationship, where do we meet him? Um, the, just before Pope Francis was elected you may remember there was a synod in Rome on the new evangelization uh, and it said that the entire goal of evangelization is to create the possibility for such encounters these encounters that Pope Francis takes up this image to say this is what it means to be a Christian well why do we proclaim Jesus to others because if, if Jesus isn't proclaimed to them, they're not going to be able to meet him. Okay, where do we meet Jesus, encounter him? Praying, very obviously. Um, talked, a couple talks ago about mental prayer. Um, we encounter him in Holy Communion, in adoration. So when we, as we you know, just had the overnight thing here in the church last week, uh, great way to encounter the Lord. Uh, the Synod on the New Evangelization taught in particular about the experience of youth and what are called the new ecclesial movements and, and two things in particular with respect to that. One is the encounter with the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and Adoration that's been rediscovered in a new way in many of the youth movements and uh, events like World Youth Day. Confession too. Um, so uh, in the Synod on the Bishops, um, they spoke about confession as another sacrament, a bit like Eucharistic Adoration, rediscovered, abandoned by an older generation, sadly, largely, but rediscovered by a younger generation and rediscovered as something new, as a, as a way to meet the Lord that young people so often know there's stuff wrong in my life. Um, well, I can meet the Lord and have it put right. So they talked about confession as being the primary sacrament of the new evangelization, that of all the sacraments to be the moment of encounter um, for the new evangelization, to have a focus, uh, they said, um, called it the Confession, the primary sacrament of the new evangelization. 
Okay, I've said that already. Um, so this is from Cardinal Timothy Dolan. Um, he says about confession being the primary sacrament of the new evangelization, uh, that it evangelizes the evangelizers as it brings us sacramentally into contact with Jesus, who calls us to conversion of heart and inspires us. And Pope Francis uh, took that up um, in his document Evangelii Guardian. Now, to bring this to a kind of a conclusion, this thing on confession, what that means is a different way of thinking about your sins. So there can be, uh, I think for many of the 1950s generation, the image of sins was about breaking laws. Um, and yes, a sin does break God's laws. But in this model, this way of thinking about sins, it's primarily something that's done to my relationship with God. And so it's putting that relationship right in confession um, that makes confession so important. So I said here, sin is primarily then not a lack of self-perfection or a breaking of a law, but it's primarily an offence against a person and in forgiveness something being put right in that relationship with that person. Okay, shifting focus again. Said meeting God. Well, obviously we also meet God in the needy. So quoting the Lord's words that I was hungry and you fed me. This if this isn't part of our spirituality, to be meeting God in the needy, then we're missing part of what it means to be meeting God in Christ. So said here, this is a test of whether our relationship with Jesus is self-serving or whether our relationship is false. A piety that is very me-centered, very private, that doesn't look for the needy. There's something there that isn't quite about Jesus. So summarizing what I've said about where we encounter Jesus, I've said in prayer, in the sacraments, in the Bible, in the teaching of the church, in love of neighbour. I think this is the last point I want to make, the fruit of this encounter. Um, joy. And this is, again, you'll have heard me preach many times on this, quoting Pope Francis. Uh, to meet a friend is a moment of joy. To encounter God, your best friend, is a moment of joy. So Pope Francis talks about the fervent joy of the sinner who knows he is forgiven. So I think many of us will know evangelical and Protestant friends who will be able to tell you the moment that they came to the Lord and it's invariably the moment they knew they were a sinner. That if I don't know I'm a sinner, if I don't recognise in my depth that I am a sinner, I can't appreciate what he has done for me in forgiving my sins. So that that encounter only comes with that realisation, I am a sinner. Uh, and Pope Francis also talks about the joyful hope of the abandoned who finally know that someone cares about them. So that's the fruit of the encounter um, with the Lord. And again, as you'll have heard me quote many times in sermons, he says, joy fills the hearts and lives of all who encounter Jesus. And this beautiful image, 
The apostles never forgot the moment when Jesus touched their hearts. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. That's when John says that's when he met Jesus the first time. They speculate John wrote his gospel a couple decades later, and even then he's able to remember the hour of the day when he first met the Lord. That encounter made such an impression on him. So summarizing everything, what describes your relationship with God? Is he just the source of peace for you? Is he your master and you're his slave? Or do you have a personal relationship with him, a friendship with someone that you know and love?